Welcome to another bonus episode of Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news, tips, and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. I am again your host, C. Mitchell Shaw, and in this bonus episode, we're going to be discussing creating, managing, and using strong passwords to protect your privacy. So stay tuned for this bonus episode of Enemy of the Surveillance State. Okay, so I've said this before, but I'll I'll begin this bonus episode by saying that your security and privacy chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So it doesn't really matter if you've encrypted all of your hard drives, you've encrypted your mobile device, you're using the most privacy-friendly softwares and email services. If your passwords are weak, it will take someone no time at all to breach your trust, to breach your privacy, and to rob you of your security. So how do we create really strong passwords? Well, first let's talk about the difference between a password and a passphrase, because I use those terms sometimes interchangeably. But when I say password, I usually mean passphrase. If you think of a password, you're probably thinking of something like, uh, let's say that I'm really into sports and my favorite team is the Seahawks. And if you're not a Seahawks fan, don't don't worry. Uh, They're not my favorite team. I don't have a favorite team because I'm not into sports at all. I'm just using that as an analogy. But let's say that the Seahawks are my favorite team in the whole wide world. So my password is Seahawks. Uh, It would take a strong password. off-the-shelf desktop computer a whole couple of minutes to crack that password. So I decide I'm going to be really crafty with it, and I insert, say, the at sign or the number four because it sort of looks like an A instead of the A in the word, uh, the A's in the word Seahawks. And then I replace the E with a three and the S at the end with a five. Well, now I've raised that to it taking a few hours to crack that password. Now that's on a typical desktop computer, a modern desktop computer. Let's imagine that a police agency or a federal agency has, and I'm sure they do, computers that are many thousands, if not millions of times more powerful. It would take them a whole couple of seconds to crack your password because what they're going to use is something called a dictionary attack. It's always the first thing that they do. A dictionary attack basically goes through every known word in any given language. So they would start with English since I'm an English speaker. They would just assume that my password is in English and they would run through the dictionary and they've got a computer program like Jack the Ripper or something like that, that just runs through one word after another, after another, including spelling variations of those words. And eventually they hit on my password. Now I can complicate that some by doing what's called a pass phrase, which is way preferable to a password. A pass phrase would be a combination of words that preferably have nothing to do with each other. So let's say I chose two words that have nothing to do with with each other, say eclipsed and feathers. 
and I create a password that is Eclipsed Feathers. Now, those words have nothing to do with each other. No computer program is going to tie them together into a combination. It's not like I put a, you know, baseball field, right? Like that would come up pretty quickly. But Eclipsed Feathers, not so much. Now, I increase that even still by substituting letters, I'm sorry, numbers for some of the letters. Now, I've raised that from a few weeks to probably a billion years for it to take uh, a desktop computer to crack that password. Billion years, I don't really care. But again, the problem is that those words came out of my psyche. So I have to imagine if I've already been deeply surveilled by the surveillance state, uh, and if you go back and listen to the very first episode of this podcast, why surveillance matters, even if you have nothing to hide, you'll understand what I mean about them being able to get inside your mind and understand your psychology better than you do, because you're not a computer algorithm taking a hard look at your psychology. You're a human person who lies to yourself about your motives and your aims, just like all of the rest of us do. So you don't really know yourself as well as a computer program that's designed to poke holes in your psyche and figure out what you're thinking and why you're thinking it. So a way better approach would be to have a passphrase or a password that you yourself didn't deliberately create. Now, one good way of doing that first, uh, before I get into that, uh, I wanted to say, and I nearly forgot, um, another good way of doing this is to recognize that a good password or passphrase needs to be long and random. Now, I'll get back to that. You can do long but the human mind really cannot do random. Even if you sit down and try to think of a random list of words, you will probably not be as random as you think you are. And a good computer program that's designed to psychologically analyze that, that passphrase could still hit on that passphrase given enough time. So it needs to be totally random, which means your psyche needs to be completely removed from the equation. How do you do that? Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is with something called password dice, okay? Uh, and the Electronic Frontier Foundation really popularized this idea. And you can buy password dice at EFF.org if you go there and poke around on their site. I've got a set. They're very, very cool. They're black. They look really, really awesome. And they've got numbers in all the places except the number one is the EFF logo. So it's kind of cool. I paid $15 for those, mostly because I wanted to support the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the very good work that they're doing to support privacy and protect privacy. However, if you don't want to go through the trouble or you just want to create some passwords uh, right now, as soon as you finish listening to this podcast, go grab five dice from your Yahtzee game or just, you know, rob all the games in your house. You know, grab a couple from... Uh, uh, Monopoly and a couple from Clue or whatever. I don't even think you, well, you use dice for Clue. Yeah, use dice for Clue. So, you know, go grab a bunch of dice. You need five dice and you just toss those. And then you just arrange them in no particular order. You just kind of scoop them up to where they're in a straight line. And let's say that the number that it gives you is, uh, say, 58321, right? So now, or, or let, let's say it's 62432. So then at EFF's website, you can download a word list. A, a password dice word list. And you would just go down that list so that the dice landed on a six, a two, a four, a three, and another two. Well, that word, 62432, is trail side. So I just write that down, trail side. Then I toss the dice again and I get, say, 62361. Uh, that word is tip off. And then I just toss the dice again and I come up with 62131 
theatrics. I string all three of those words together into a passphrase. It would be nearly impossible for a computer algorithm to crack that. That is so long and so random. I mean, that makes up 30 some odd characters or whatever, you know, 20 some odd characters. And you're perfectly safe with a password like that. Now, again, uh, that assumes that you want to take the time and you've got the time to sit down with a piece of paper and do that. Now, I recommend you do that for the encryption on your laptop or the encryption on your phone because you cannot use one of the next methods that I'm going to tell you to store those things because you need to be able to get into your device to get to these other passwords in the way that I'm going to describe them. So for your laptop, create a password like that, encrypt the hard drive on your laptop using that passphrase that is long and random as I just described and write that down. I almost never recommend you write down a password, but in this instance, I am going to recommend you write it down because if you encrypt your hard drive and forget that password, you're about to lock yourself out of your hard drive and lose all of the data on that hard drive. Because unless you've got a backup of it that's not encrypted, which would be sort of pointless, then if you lose that passphrase, the only thing you can do is format the hard drive and start over. So all of your pictures, all of your movies, all of your music, all of your documents, they're just gone. They're gone forever. There's no way to ever get them back. All right. So create a strong random password and encrypt your hard drive and your mobile phone. Okay. Now, once you've done that, the next step is going to be uh, to create uh, a long list of passwords for everything that you use, your social media accounts, your banking, your um, documents that you're encrypting, whatever it is that you need a password for or a passphrase for, all of these services and softwares and everything that you use, every account you sign up for that you need to create a passphrase for, you need a way to do that. And what I recommend, because again, how are you going to remember? How are you going to keep up with all of these long, random passwords? You can't write them all down. That's a nightmare. By the way, uh, in writing down a password, the final step that I forgot to mention earlier is... Once you've been using that passphrase for a while and you realize, gosh, it's been a week since I've had to pull that piece of paper out of my pocket to look at it to sign into this, well, now you don't need it anymore. You've got it memorized. It's become a part of who you are. So now tear it up and burn it. You don't need it. You now actually have a passphrase that is long and random that you have committed to memory. You'll, you'll probably see that you're typing it out of muscle memory. You won't even look at the keyboard. You won't even think about what you're typing. You'll just type that in there and you'll be in your stuff. So at that point, you don't need that anymore, but you can't do that for 20 or 30 different things that you need passwords for, and you should never, ever, ever reuse a password because if, let's say, I use that same password for my bank and my bank gets hacked and some hacker out there has my password, well, one of the first things he's going to try to do is look at other accounts where I might have used the same login information, and then he's just going to take over all of my accounts. He's in my email. He's in my banking information. He's in my social media. Now this guy owns my life, uh, and it doesn't matter to me if that guy is wearing a hoodie and munching cold pizza in his grandmother's basement uh, or if he's sitting in a federal office wearing a badge. I don't want anybody getting into my stuff, so that is why I protect everything with individual, unique passwords for each and everything. So now you've got these like 20 or 25 or 30 long random passwords. You're never going to remember those. Well, the good news is you don't have to. There's a thing called a password manager or password vault. Uh, one of the most popular is called LastPass. 
LastPass is good. It's encrypted. It's strong. The downside to LastPass is when I last checked, it is not open source, meaning that they will not release their source code for audit. So I can't trust their software. I don't know that the government doesn't have back doors in LastPass. I'm not accusing LastPass of that. I'm just saying there's no way I can verify that's not the case. And so with that, without being able to verify that, I just always, to be safe, assume that is the case. My preference is one called Bitwarden. Now, let me say again right from the beginning that, um, and I always say this when I recommend a piece of software, Enemy of the Surveillance State is completely listener supported. I don't accept ads. I'm not underwritten by anybody. If I recommend a piece of software to you, it is not because the maker of that software has paid me to recommend it. It is because I use it. I trust it. And I recommend it because I believe it is the best choice. Now, if you want to do your own research, I recommend you do that. If you find something that you like better than Bitwarden, you know, shoot me a message at uh, enemyofsurveillance.protonmail.com. And let me know. Let me know what you're using and why I should consider mentioning it on the show. I'll give it a check. I'll I'll take it for a run. I'll drill down into it. Heck, I'll have a conversation with the people that make it and see what I think of what they're having to say to me. And then I'll recommend it on the show if it comes to that level. But for right now, I recommend Bitwarden. You can download that from their website. I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, you can check that out yourself. Uh, it, it's well, Here's what I like about Bitwarden. It's end-to-end encrypted. It is open source and it is zero knowledge. Now they don't use the phrase zero knowledge to describe it. They use the phrase, um, oh, how do they describe it? Well, I'll tell you what they write. Uh, The question is asked, can the Bitwarden team see my passwords? The answer is no. Since your data are fully encrypted and or hashed before ever leaving your local device, no one from the Bitwarden team can ever see read, or reverse engineer to get your real data. Bitwarden only serves your, only stores your encrypted data and hashed data. This is an important step that Bitwarden takes to protect you. So because it is encrypted on my device and sent to them in an encrypted form and they don't even have access to my password, they don't have access to my unencrypted data, they don't have a way to see that. Anything short of that is too short for me. This is why I use Bitwarden. So it is cross-platform also, meaning that you can use this on Linux, Mac, or Windows, and um, it is cross-device. So I'm able to use this on my laptop. I'm able to use this on my mobile device. I can use this on any laptop anywhere. So I can create a password using Bitwarden because it actually has a password generator. I could just click a button and it'll come up with some long random string of numbers, letters, and characters that would be incredibly impossible, totally and completely impossible for anyone to ever guess. The mathematics is are just against it. It's never going to be guessed. It's never going to be hacked. It's never going to be cracked. Okay. And then I'm able to apply that password to any given account that I'm signing into. If I'm changing a password or signing up for a new account or whatever I'm doing, then I'm able to just make that long random string that I don't know and would never be able to memorize I'm able to make that my passphrase or password for that account. Then that is stored in my Bitwarden vault that I can access on any of my devices because I decrypt that information to bring it back to myself on either my mobile phone or my laptop. 
if I'm out of town and I've got to use somebody else's computer, say I'm at my mother-in-law's house and I'm using one of her computers, I would just install Bitwarden for a moment, log in, get all my login information, and then jump right over to the account that I need to get into. And when I'm done, I would just delete that from her computer so she doesn't ask me what that is later. And uh, if you're listening to this, mom-in-law, yeah, I've done that before. Okay, so it also has an autofill feature through browser add-ons. So if you're using the Chrome or Chromium browser, if you're using Firefox, if you're using Brave, they all have browser add-ons that bring in this autofill feature for Bitwarden. So I've got that on the Brave browser on my laptop. I would simply, uh, when I open a page, say I go to my ProtonMail account, I don't even know the password for my ProtonMail account. I've never known it. I created it using Bitwarden and I autofill it from Bitwarden and I don't know that password. So uh, I would open up ProtonMail and then I would make sure that I'm logged into Bitwarden by putting in my password to Bitwarden. And then as long as I keep that browser open, I've got this little Bitwarden indicator up in the top right-hand corner of the browser. When I open ProtonMail, it says, oh, hey, by the way, we see the password for that. Would you like to autofill that? I click the button, it fills in my username and password and clickety-click, I'm in my account. If I close the browser, I would have to log back in to Bitwarden, but as long as I leave the browser open while I'm having my, my work session, whatever it is I'm doing, I can log back into something else if I've logged out of it. I can log into something I've not yet logged into as long as I have stored that password in Bitwarden. So it, like I say, it's multi-platform and multi-device. Because of this, uh, I don't have to remember 20 or 30 passwords. I know four of my own passwords, period. I know the password to decrypt my phone. I know the password to decrypt the encryption on my laptop. I know the password to log into the user account on my laptop. And I know my Bitwarden password. That's it. I don't know any of my other passwords. I simply let Bitwarden handle all of that for me using open source, end-to-end encrypted, zero-knowledge software that I have confidence in. So check it out yourself. I'll put uh, links in the show notes. I'm also going to put something in there where you can check the strength of a password. Now, there's a caveat here. This is a website called howsecureismypassword.net. When you go to that website, you can type in a password, and they'll tell you how long it would take a desktop computer to crack that password. I really like howsecureismypassword.net, but there's a warning right on their page that tells you they could be stealing your password, okay? They say, we're not, but we could be. Well, you know, that's true. They could be. So here is a way around that. What you do is you log into the website. Once it's up and loaded, all the scripts are running. It's able to do what it's going to do. Now disconnect your laptop or your desktop from the internet. Just kill the internet connection. Unplug the cable. Turn off the, the Wi-Fi card. Do whatever you have to do to know that you are completely offline at this point. Then test your password. It'll run. You can even refresh the page and test another password. Test another password. Test another password without reconnecting to the internet. Once you're all done and before you reconnect to the internet, wipe your browser history for the last hour or 24 hours or however long you've had that page open, and then you can reconnect to the internet. And nothing from that session on that page still exists to be sent back to whoever is running howsecureismypassword.net. So just to give you an idea, that password that I tossed out earlier, Eclipsed Feathers, using a few extra letters or numbers instead of letters, it would take a desktop computer one trillion years to crack that password. Now, if I imagine 
that the federal government has a computer that is, say, a million times more powerful than a typical desktop computer, it would still take them a billion years. No, a billion. A hundred million years, however many zeros that is. I always lose zeros when I try to do this. But more time than I care about. Let's say this. If they had a laptop or a a computer that was a trillion times more powerful than a desktop computer, it would still take them a year to crack my password. Now, unless I am an absolute target and they fully suspect me of some real crime, they are not going to invest a year of just leaving one computer alone to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 365 years to crack your password. Unless you are a suspect in a crime and they've decided that they are going to come after you. For the rest of us who are just trying to live our lives privately, this is overkill. And I like overkill in this regard. Uh, I want to say before I close this out that, uh, again, um, Enemy of the Surveillance State is completely listener-supported. I know that with the whole COVID thing right now, and I've said this several times, if you're in a tight spot because of COVID, I do not expect you to pop over to the Patreon page and begin supporting this this podcast. I don't expect you to head over to the Teespring account and purchase any merchandise to support the podcast. For those of you who can do that, please do. The show is listener supported. I accept no funding from anyone except my listeners. Uh, And on that note, I want to take a moment to thank Jonathan. Uh, I had a great conversation uh, online the other day with Jonathan. Jonathan, you know who you are. You're my very first patron ever. God bless you, brother. Really appreciate your support. For the rest of you, feel free to check that out. If you're not in a position to do that, then all I ask you to do is be sure to like, share, and um, give a good rating to this show on whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps the show if you do that. If you like, share, and give it a good rating, a five-star review or whatever on your platform, it helps other people to find it. So that's it for this uh, bonus episode. Go secure your stuff with strong passwords and keep it all private. Until next time, Thanks for listening to Enemy of the Surveillance State, and God bless you. Stay safe out there.